Hello, welcome back to Take Orally and uh, another early clinical experience podcast, uh, this time looking at cranial nerve examination. Uh, once again, joined by ACP Lucy Harris. Hello, Lucy. Hiya, hello. How are you? Hello. Yeah, very good, thank you. Good. Via Zoom, so hopefully the audio will hold out. Uh, cool, so everyone's favourite cranial nerve examination, isn't it? Um, I think it's the one that people get most nervous about, to be honest with you, um, until they've learnt it and then they realise that it's probably one of the best exams they can do because it can be really slick and <laughs> thorough um, all at the same time. Cool. Um, so once you know it, you know it. It's, um, it sticks quite quickly, doesn't it? Yeah. It just takes a lot of a lot of repetition, but once it's in there, it's in there. Cool. Um, and you find your um, little ways of remembering um, which which particular cranial nerve you're um, examining at the time and things. Um, so that should make it um, a bit easier. Cool. Um, it certainly is the one that people get a bit more anxious about. I guess it's just a, a bit more unfamiliar, isn't it? Yeah, and um, we're going to go we'll probably talk through a couple of mnemonics. There are plenty of mnemonics out there. We're going for the U-rated versions um, in this podcast. In terms of memorising them, as you mentioned, there's lots of really naughty mnemonics out there, um, so I'll let people go and read on their own. Um, we've got one that's on occasion, our trusty truck acts funny, very good vehicle anyhow. Um, there's a, another read one, so that's just in terms of naming all of your cranial nerves. In terms of whether they're sensory or they're motor, um, there's another mnemonic um, which um, is some say marry money but my brother says big brains matter more again there's variations of what is big um, to be to be seen whatever really works in terms of people remembering it but with um, S there being sensory M being motor and B being both there in that one absolutely um, cool. So, um, in starting the cranial nerve examination, we're, we're doing very much the same we do with all our examinations, um, greeting and consenting. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, within this particular podcast, I guess, there's, we'll talk a little bit about the functionality of some of the cranial nerves. Um, um, however, obviously, just being able to demonstrate that by a podcast is quite tricky. So, this does tend to go hand in hand with um, one of the lectures that i um, uh, I deliver on the um, ACP Masters for Nottingham Uni, so um, just to sort of bear that in mind, um, and it may be worth looking at some other resources, such as Geeky Medics has, a, has quite a good resource um, in terms of cranial nerve examination as well, um, and Agreed. we can sort of speak about any sort of cranial nerve um, trauma um, and the medical causes potentially around, around any sort of abnormalities you might find, but certainly we will start our examination as we do with any patient by being polite and greeting them and uh, explaining them what we're going to do and also obviously gaining their consent. Um, washing our hands and positioning ourselves um, so that we've, uh, we're in the right, the right place to be able to perform all aspects that we can do. Um, it's quite important to just make sure that the patient doesn't actually have any pain um, or any problems with their head or neck region and specifically sort of um, make it quite, quite elaborate that if you were to cause them any pain or discomfort that we'd actually just then be able to sort of move forward from that part of the examination because then it's not about endurance for the poor patient going through it. Um, so after we've done our, our niceties of introducing ourselves, um, the first thing that really needs to happen is that you need to have a general inspection of the patient. Um, and thinking about the symmetry um, of the face, the pupils, shoulders, the muscle mass in particular, and tone as well, um, and taking in the general sort of picture of the patient sat in front of you, 
So I'm really noting any sort of deformity um, that you can see just on that initial inspection. And that will start really, really from the very first moment the patient walks into the cubicle. So you'll be assessing in terms of how they are mobilising, if they're independent, if they're moving their feet with a normal heel-toe strike or if they're dragging a foot behind them. Um, and taking all that information in even before you've got the patient sat in the chair and, and you start to have that conversation with them. Um, so really, really important aspect not to be missed and obviously not to sort of overlook the importance of that initial inspection. Um, and once the patient's happy that we're going to inspect, mm -hmm. inspect them and then we're going to move on to start um, looking at some of the uh, facial movements and sensations in their face, uh, we move on to test the first um, cranial nerve, which is the olfactory nerve. Yep. Um, so this one is usually a, a simple question, isn't it? <laughs> Have you noticed a change in your sense of smell? Yeah, unless you work at the Boots um, fragrance counter where you've got a multitude of different fragrances and coffee beans to smell in between. Um, certainly from our perspective, it is a, um, it's an inquiry uh, about ability to smell. Um, and uh, if you really needed to sort of test, um, then you could use things like coffee beans and strong scented things. But essentially you're asking the patient, do you have a change to your sense of smell or a loss of your sense of smell? Anosmia, which is very topical at the moment in yeah. the COVID pandemic. Um, uh, so that's a very simple yes or no from the patient. Um, obviously there are things that can affect your smell as well, not forgetting that you can just have a simple cold or hay fever and all of those things can um, cause blockages um, without it actually being a cranial nerve defect. Um, so just to take that in consideration with the history that you would have already taken before doing the examination. Yeah. Um, so that's a nice, a nice simple one. Olfactory, very simple. Do you have a change to your sense of smell? Uh, before then moving on to um, SS, the uh, cranial nerve two, of course, optic. Um, Bit more involved now. Getting a little bit more, a little bit more involved. Um, so testing the visual acuity in, in each eye, um, and the way that we do that one in particular is by using yet yeah, another mnemonic. Because let's be honest, we quite like to use mnemonics, don't we? Um, in medicine, um, so yeah, we're going to be assessing it from from several aspects really, and it's not just testing it in isolation. I think we probably need to recognise that there are um, aspects of cranial nerve three, your ocular motor nerve, that will be tested at the same time. Um, but we'll be testing um, uh, using the like afro, so testing for acuity, visual fields, and fundoscopy, um, reflexes, so direct and consensual light reflex, and uh, an accommodation um, of the pupils, um, and then ocular motor as well, so the movement of the eyes themselves. Um, so thinking about the, um, the the first part of that mnemonic, so um, the A for afro, so acuity, so testing each eye independently. Um, and testing with and without um, optical correction. So if the patient's wearing glasses, um, then we ask them if they'd like to put their glasses on. Um, equally, if they're wearing contacts, it's not really practical sometimes to ask somebody to take contacts out, no. <laughs> particularly in my in my, uh, in my job role in, in ED. So um, that might not be practical in, in terms. But if it's a simple thing of just taking their glasses off, putting their glasses on, then that's obviously um, doable. Um, and really, um, if you've got a Snellings chart available, and I know I found challenges of that in clinical practice sometimes, <laughs> that it's not always there readily on the wall, uh, on the on the wall six metres away. Um, that actually you can use um, simple things like a name badge, um, a, a poster on the wall, um, and just cover the words that you want them to be able to read. And we should be testing um, the eyes independently, so getting them to cover one eye, um, and then getting them to cover the other. Uh, and I know that they do a much greater in-depth. Um, examination of uh, visual acuity within um, 
uh, ophthalmology or eye casualty, um, where they use things like pinholes um, to be able to assess um, someone's um, improvement of uh, visual field, um, visual acuity. Sorry, um, we would not expect that within an OSCE um, examination um, situation from from our perspective. Um, if you have patients, and let's be honest, we live um, in a really varied um, area in Nottinghamshire. Not I don't know if I can say where we are. <laughs> can I say <laughs> where we are? Yeah, of course we can. Um, but you may have some patients who are actually can't read. So literacy is a big issue, isn't it, across the country, um, where we have still have adults that aren't able to read. Um, and if they can't read, then there's simple things that you can do in terms of getting them to count fingers or doing specific hand movements. Um, or perceived light and dark um, as, a, as an alternative to the actually reading words. Um, good. Um, cool. So that's... In terms of... Yeah, sorry. Sorry, in terms of the optic nerve, so that's a sensory nerve um, and will carry visual information from the retina to the visual cortex. Um, and we would test that by... Um, um, we uh, we would test it by doing um, it's a, a confrontational examination in terms of testing the fields, and um, so um, directly facing the patient, making sure that you're one meter away. And it is really important to ensure that you've got the right distance between you and the patient, but also where you're positioning your hands. And um, so it should be um, halfway between the two of you, because either way, if you're holding your hands too close to you, then you may think that you've got a visual field deficit um, and the patient's doing very well and vice versa that you could actually put the patient at a disadvantage by moving your hands too close over their sort of um, the halfway mark towards them and um, so ensuring that you're a meter away and that you're halfway between the two of you and that you're testing both eyes you ask the patient to cover one eye and you use as a mirror image you're covering the same eye so if they were covering their right for instance you'd be covering your left eye um, and be testing testing that side um, it's it's one of those things that you think you have to practice quite quite often um, to be able to get the um, terminology right, and so the patient feels really confident that you know what you're doing, and we're not getting in a pickle with who's covering what eye and when. Um, so it does take a bit of practice, and it's didactics of that really. Um, and then we, I tend to call it people call it bunny ears coming in, so they're wriggling sort of like two fingers coming down. Uh, for patients, I've explained to them it's a bit like a plane landing. Um, so keep looking at me, they must keep looking at me, you mustn't look away and tell me when you see my finger coming in from distance, it's a bit like a plane landing, but don't look away. And you have to keep prompting them sometimes not to look away and to be looking for your finger around the room, because um, that would completely negate the point of doing the visual fields testing. Um, uh, and it's testing really for any sort of inattention. So within strokes, um, in particular, if you were going to give a, an example, there may be some loss of um, visual fields on, on a specific side. Um, and um, that can be really obvious by, by performing visual field testing. Um, at this stage as well, we would offer um, optic nerve fundoscopy. How's your fundoscopy, Jamie? Oh, it's excellent. <laughs> There's one ophthalmology reg. I, I once um, referred a patient, and the and I said oh, I, I did do some fundoscopy, and the ophthalmology reg was like, "Well, good for you. Um, it won't have been any good, so don't worry about it. Uh, just send the patient." Well done, trying. I was like, "Thank you." I don't know whether to be. I was actually a bit relieved, but also I should I have been patronised. I don't know. Uh, but um, any ophthalmologist will tell you fundoscopy is pretty rubbish anyway. They always rely on their slit lamp, but um, you can offer it. 
it's not only the slip lamp it's the fact that you can actually put things in the and they dilate yeah that's the other yeah they they yeah. properly dilate the pupils it's yeah. really hard to do it on a pupil that is size two to three actually yeah. if you've got a lovely dilated pupil and a slip lamp you've got a beautiful um, example of fundoscopy so it is really hard to do it's a skill that um i think you can learn but unless you're practicing it very very often your competence in it it becomes very very slippery so um it's 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 an amazing thing and i think if you can go to um spend time with an ophthalmologist department and you've got the ability to spend that time learning fundoscopy um, then that's brilliant but obviously we do have our specialist teams available to us particularly in our um, in our trust um, to be able to refer onwards and um, to have a more thorough, thorough examination from that perspective. Um, so we've done acuity, we've done fields, the next one in afro is R for reflexes. Reflexes, so consensual and direct light reflexes. This is the part actually when when you're teaching most people how to um, how to perform a cranial nerve exam actually they're a bit more confident about it. they're like aha a pen to watch I get look in the pupils I've done this before it's fine um, so using uh, a hand to shield um, the pen torch in the middle so you're basically placing your hand in a uh, vertical position on the patient's nose just to prevent any sort of um, light um, shining into the opposite eye really as you're testing and you're testing one one eye at a time so you're looking for um, a direct eye reflex but then also consensual so if your right pupil has, had light, has a light shined into it your left pupil should react equally. Um, you're looking to see that the pupils um, prior to starting are of equal shape and size. Some people do have a slightly bigger pupil on one side. My mum is an example of that. Um, so once I was learning cranial nerves I thought it was a bit freaky when I noticed that but she tells me it's been like that for years. Um, you um, so four times you will need to test the patient's vision essentially looking for the direct um, and then consensual um, in terms of accommodation reflex now this is one that was um, slightly slightly new to me when I first uh, first learned cranial nerve examination is asking the patient to look at um, something um, they say to have it um, about 15 centimeters away from the eye um, but certainly looking at something um, beyond you um, and then you're asking the patient about 15 centimetres in front of their face holding your finger to look at your finger um, and at that stage um, you should see that they have um, convergence and constriction of the pupils equally um, both sides so that's accommodation reflex. Cool. In terms of optic nerve, the optic nerve, so if we were to find um, uh, any um, any abnormality in terms of sort of visual fields it really does depend and it, this will take a little bit of a little reading behind really on where your lesions are within your optic nerve so if it's obviously pre um uh, chiasma then um you will find that it will be on the um contralateral side where you will probably get your deficit um whereas if it's within the chiasmus often people um have um a loss of um bilateral visual field so it will be the lateral aspect of their vision that is affected both sides um, whereas after the chiasma um it's very much ipsilateral where you will find that they have some of their deficit um, but again that that sort of just just takes a bit of time to read about that and just to make sure that people have got that happy in their in their minds or, or where they think that the lesion might be cool um so the last part of afro oculomotor <laughs> oculomotor it doesn't really work in isolation with just cranial nerve three um so uh oculomotor cranial nerve three is a motor nerve which goes hand in hand with its name really doesn't it <laughs> um so all um extra ocular motor muscles um except the uh, exterior oblique and lateral rectus muscles which were cranial nerve six and uh, four 
um, uh, are being tested here. Um, we tend to test them in one go, so you'll notice that while we're doing this, it will be testing uh, four and six at the same time. Um, and essentially what you're asking the patient to do is to uh, keep um, looking at you. You've got your hand about 30 centimetres from their face, no further than that really, because again, it would start to really impact on your, your findings. Um, and follow, ask the patient to follow your finger and you do the figure um, H really, um, across to the right, up and down, and then across to the left and up and down. And specifically what you'd be looking for there is um, nystagmus and asking the patient if they have any change to their vision or any blurring or doubling of their vision at the time. Um, some people like to hold the patient at the top of their head, so just gently place your uh, palm on their forehead or gently hold their chin just to stop them from moving their head um, and trying to, um, hmm, what's the word, accommodate? No. Cheat. <laughs> Cheat pretty much is the only word. If you move your head during this, you're cheating, so you've got to keep the head still. <laughs> well, I certainly do that with visual clarity. No, you're cheating. Don't look away. Don't <laughs> cheat. Don't cheat. So, um, I guess one of the um, abnormalities you can find, or certainly something that I've seen in a patient previously, um, is a um, down and out pupil. Um, and the patient actually came in with um, some visual disturbance. She said she was had some um, she had some doubling of her vision, was really struggling. She'd woken up with it that morning. She had a history of diabetes um, and was a statin, but otherwise she was really very good. She was fifty three years old. Um, she didn't have. She had very well controlled diabetes. She didn't have any um, any issues in terms of her blood sugars, and um, and really sort of took care of herself with it. Um, but essentially, was di diagnosed um, once admitted to medicine with a um, cranial nerve palsy, um, so a neuropathy as a result of her um, her diabetes, which is a really odd single nerve isolated deficit. Hmm. Um, interesting, nonetheless. Um, but other things that may cause a single um, oculomotor lesion could be things like um, extrusional hemorrhages, um, cavernous sinus disease, um, or any sort of type of aneurysm as well. Cool. Um, if you've got cranial nerve three um, compression, um, you also might find that you've got some dilate, dilation of the pupil too. Um, as the parasympathetic nerve, sympathetic nerves often surround the nerve too. Um, so that might go hand in hand with a, um, a divergent squint essentially and a dilated pupil um, and should ring some alarm bells really. Mm. Um, uh, and that, yeah, and if there was, uh, and in terms of head injury, increasing intracranial pressure causes temporal lobe to hurt and then you'll get the cranial nerve pressing against the tentorium, which would then um, cause, cause you to have um, a deficit on your examination. So moving on to cranial nerve four, trochlea. Yep. Uh, so again, that's a motor nerve um, and it supplies the superior oblique. So if you have any abnormality um, of your cranial nerve four, so if there's a lesion at all there or something compressing it, um, you'll find that um, the uh, eye will move downwards and outwards so you'd get a depression and abduction of the eye. Um, people would find it quite difficult walking downstairs, they often describe it as a vertical diplopia so if they're looking down um, it makes it worse, so it would go, I get this double vision as I'm walking down the stairs, it might be something they're complaining of, it's worse when I'm walking downstairs. 
Um, and you might find that as they walk into the room, they're actually tilting their head backwards and, and looking at you um, as if they had a pair of spectacles on and were, you know, in a schoolroom to about to tell you off. Um, so a sort of downward gaze um, to try and compensate for it, really. But certainly they'll be complaining of some difficulty in reading, um, which could be new for them. Smashing. Um, cool. uh, while we're talking about um, our motor nerves that supply our um, the movements of our eyes, um, within that um, uh, visual testing, we would have actually um, also examined cranial nerve sticks, which is obtusing, so we're jumping slightly out of order here. Um, but again, they complain of horizontal um, diplopia. Um, uh, it's a motor nerve, cranial nerve sticks, obtusins, um, and supplies the lateral rectus muscle of the eye. Um, it's probably, if you're going to have a lesion on one of them, it, it does the least, and uh, it's just there. So <laughs> perhaps arguably one of, one of the better ones. But certainly that's what we're testing within our, um, our uh, with um, cranial nerves four and three. So moving on to um, cranial nerve five. So now we go back to the trigeminal nerve. We are going back. So we've done three, four and six, and back in the middle we've got trigeminal. Uh, aptly named trigeminal because there's three branches to it. So that's how we remember that one. Um, so trigeminal nerve, which is cranial nerve five, um, is a bit of a mixture of both. So it does a bit of a bit of both, really, in terms of motor and sensory. Um, and like I say, it has three branches. Um, so it's uh, got uh, the mandibular branch, um, in particular, I should say, in terms of supplying the motor aspect, um, supplies the temporalis, um, masseter, um, and medial lateral um, pterygoids. Um, so that will be the major aspect there. Um, and in terms of how we test um, the cradle of the five is looking for any type of wasting or any um, loss of symmetry on the jaw um, and, and gently palpating the temporal um, and masseter muscles. So high up both sides, can you clench your teeth uh, and relax and then clench your teeth again. And then we also test for a patient if they're able to open their mouth and then hold their mouth open against resistance. We then test that, so that's all the motor part of uh, trigeminal completed, uh, and then we would go on to test the sensory aspect of cranial nerve 5. Um, so sensation on six points um, in terms of dermatomes, and I guess there is a real technique here because I've seen people do it really quite badly in the sense that they're feeling very laterally down the face, and you do have to stay quite medial with it because mm. of where the branches of the nerves will spread out because obviously it's not just one line coming through you've got several branches coming off the individual one two three branches of um, cranial nerve five and what you may then do is um, muddy the water and start testing three instead of testing two if you're too far laterally so ensure that you're um, palpating as close to the nose really as possible um, lateral to the nose very size and you ask the patient to close their eyes so there's no um, visual stimulus that they might be picking up on while, while you're testing this um, so close your eyes and just let me know if you can feel me touching you. And it's a very, very light touch because otherwise you start testing other nerves um, in particular. So um, does it feel, tell me when I touch you, does it feel the same base size and then moving down the face? Um, as part of uh, cranial nerve five, we also offer corneal reflex. Mm -hmm. um, never had anyone take me up on that. Um, well, maybe so, wanted some, yeah. somebody didn't want you poking them in the eye. Funny that. <laughs> Did I just brush a bit of piece of cotton wool along your eyeball? No. Okay, that's fine. Um, but it certainly needs to be offered. And obviously, in things like things like um, brainstorm testing and things like that, that's where it really comes into its own. So, um, quite an important one. Cool. Uh, we've talked about abducens. So we can um, go to. Six. 
a very important one, uh, cranial nerve seven, the facial nerve. And the facial nerve, yes, the facial nerve. So again, the facial nerve is a uh, both a sensory and motor nerve. Um, it uh, has innovation for the muscles of facial expression. It's what gives you your smile, JT, <laughs> and gives me my frown. <laughs> um, That's us in a nutshell. It also supplies you with the anterior two thirds of your tongue, so in terms of taste. Um, so again, also very important um, for your for your eating out um, uh, habits. Um, so parasympathetic, also got parasympathetic innovation of the lac, uh, lacrimal um, gland, sinuses, and the nasal cavity. So really, really, really important nerve. It, you don't want it to stop blocking things up because it's your face. It's how your face looks. It's how your face moves um, and feels. Um, and then also all of your parasympathetic innovation there too. Um, so how do we test uh, cranial nerves seven? We ask the patients to smile. Show me a smile, Jamie. Show me a D. I asked the patient that before, and they were like, I don't have any teeth. And they did. It was a bit like Nanny McPhee. They only had one tooth. I was like, okay, just show me a lovely smile. <laughs> so ask, me to, uh, ask them to smile. Um, ask the patient to puff out their cheeks and say, don't let me push them in. So you're using some slight resistance there as well. I often find that older patients find this a little bit harder, um, just because of, you know, um, degenerative muscle wasting generally um so it can be quite a tough one to get to do and if they haven't got their dentures in then it becomes really quite troublesome for them to perform um so puff your cheeks out don't let me push them in ask the patients to screw their eyes shut and don't let me open them and then finally ask them to raise their eyebrows and hold them up and testing against resistance so yes the patient may be able to do it but are they able to do it against resistance so if you push their eyebrows down does one side move um, and really, this is testing against whether there's a um, upper motor neuroinhibition or a lower um, motor neuroinhibition. Um, if you found that um, one side of the forehead um, doesn't crease um, and um, doesn't move at all, um, that would lead you more towards a lower motor, uh, motor neuroinhibition, such as Bell's. Bell's palsy. Bell's versus stroke, that really important uh, differential. And it be that subtle as well i've seen patients where it's that subtle where um they had a uh, a weakness down the left side of their face um with mouth droop um which they weren't able to correct with smiling um and um but then were able to raise their eyebrows beautifully and also raise them against resistance because i think sometimes there can be a slight raise in eyebrow with bell's palsy but it's certainly against the resistance that's the key the key aspect there um, and my lady, incidentally, who didn't have any other stroke symptom at all, um, had gone on to have an MCA infarct. So, I mean, it was subtle, really subtle. And she was young as yeah. well. So one one that you could easily um, miss if you weren't being thorough in terms of your uh, cranial nerve exam. So facial expression. Um, and um, in terms of the sensory aspect... Um, you'd ask if they had any change in taste, um, taste function, if they, you know, there's been any change um, in your taste. Again, very topical. Again, very topical uh, at the moment. Fun. Smashing. So uh, now on to cranial nerve eight, uh, the vestibular cochlear nerve. So vestibular cochlear, wow. Hearing. Is, is, yeah, a sens sensory um, uh and carries information really about sort of movement um, and position. Um, 
in terms of testing it so we we use and, and some of it sounds a bit arbitrary but um actually within our setting and particularly my setting where i have lots of things available to me in a um in a hospital setting actually these tests are really vital within sort of primary care settings where you don't have a um ear nose and throat specialist team readily available at your disposal so um so testing it wise we um see if there's a difference in terms of what the patient can hear and what we do is whisper a number into their ear while getting them to rub the tragus on the opposite side i always get the patient to rub it themselves if they're able to um alternatively you can um pop your arm just around the back of the patient not across the front of their face because that's a bit um a bit intrusive um rub the um tragus on one side and whisper a number so for instance 20 or 30 um, and ask the patient to repeat it back to you you alternatively you can click on the opposite side so clicking in the patient's ear as well um uh, and ensuring there's no deficit if there were a deficit so the patient says actually I, they couldn't hear or they couldn't couldn't tell what you were saying then we'd ask to perform a Rennie's and Weber's test um which if I'm honest I don't know if I've performed in clinical practice because I work in a very fortunate NHS trust where I have very, very good in those infrastructures at my disposal um, and to be able to ask them for their specialist opinions. Um, but we would go on to perform a, a Weber's test, so placing a tuning fork on the centre of the forehead um, and ensuring that it's got good contact with the frontal bone and if it's heard a louder in one ear compared to the other. So um, it should be heard equally forward. in both ears and normal, so... So hearing it equally in both ears would be a normal test. That would be normal, yeah. but then if it's heard louder in one ear, that's when we go on to do Rini's test. Absolutely. Uh, really, the Weber's test is really screening for unilateral perceptive or conductive um, deafness. Um, so one side louder could be um, a perceptive deafness if it lateralises to the intact ear or conductive de deafness if it's lateralising to the damaged ear. Again, this will need a little bit of reading around outside of the context of this podcast, really. Um, but we'll move on to talk about uh, the Rini's test. So if there is some uh, alteration in terms of your Weber's test, then you would move on to do a Rini's. Um, you would hold the tuning fork next to um, the external auditory meatus, so you um, essentially hit the, um, the tuning fork on a side, your hand, never the patient, nope. um, <laughs> um, and place it onto the um, uh, mastoid bone, um, and you ask the patient um, when they can hear the, the sound stop. At which point you move it to the external auditory meatus and ask them if they can hear the sound. Normal would be that they would hear it louder um, at the external meatus. So once they've, they've finished hearing it and they can't hear any more noise, and um, once it's placed on the master, we're taking it off, and they would be able to hear the sound again. That would be a normal test. Um, if they couldn't, then there, there is a, um, implies that there could be some conductive hearing loss. Um, if they're hearing it louder from bone, because we should be able to hear um, it through air consumption more. Cool. Simple. <laughs> Definitely need some reading that one. That's one that takes a while to get in. I think when I, remember, when I was a student, it was one that required some thinking. Absolutely. Cool. Um, moving on to uh, cranial nerve nine, then. So glossopharyngeal. That's the one. That's the one. It's both a sensory and motor nerve. Um, 
sensory um, component supplies post to a third of the tongue as opposed to um, cranial nerve seven. Um, the tonsils, pharynx, and middle ear. Um, and the parasympathetic fibres supply the parotoid and salivary glands. Um, possible clinical findings is that you don't have a gag reflex um, or that the patient's got difficulty swallowing. Um, so the first real port of call would be to ask the patient, have you had any change to your swallow? Um, would you be able to have a drink of water for me? And you can test to see if the patient have any difficulty swallowing or coughing or choking once they're having just a small amount of water. Uh, in the absence of that, you could offer a gag reflex using a tongue depressor, which I think is probably the most unpleasant thing in the world. Um, uh, and probably, you know, a bit unnecessary, um, tra tra not necessary trauma for the patient. Um, causes could be things like meningitis, tumours, middle ear infection can also call it, um, or occipital um, uh, condyle fractures as well, one of the other reasons. Um, so that's, you know, it's a fairly simple one to test, actually. You feel like you're on the home straight by the time you get to cranial nerve nine, really. <laughs> so cranial nerve 10, the most well-talked about nerve. The vagus, vagus nerve. nerve, our favourite. The vagus nerve, both sensory and motor. Um, motor parasympathetic supplies all visceral except the adrenal glands. So it's really, really important. You hear lots about it in your um, anatomy sessions. Um, motor innovation is the muscles of the pharynx and larynx. And what you might see um, in terms of clinical findings um, on testing, you ask the patient to open the mouth and you have a look at the back of the, um, back of the oral pharynx. And essentially you might see that there's some deviated uvula, so it could be leaning to one side, or the patient might have some hoarseness to their voice, or they might have some difficulty in swallowing again. Um, causes of that might be that they've got lung tumours, aortic aneurysms, brainstem strokes, um, and traumatic um, injuries to the neck. Um, in terms of um, thinking about the deviation, um, it's quite it's quite important actually. And it's a t um, a, it has been a, an abnormality that I found on um, on investigation previously, which has proven to be um, to be right really. Um, so in terms of in, you get an increase in muscle tone on one side. Um, so what you'll find in, in terms of um, Evaluation is that if you've got an upper motor neurone um, lesion, that it will um, deviate ipsilaterally, so to the side of where the um, where the abnormality is. Um, you uh, again could offer a gag reflex um, as per as per cranial letter nine, but it would seem pretty mean. And in um, the OSCE, you'll always just be prompted to move on. It's not a you. We do not do this in OSCEs. I don't. Has there been a, ever a patient in, in an OSCE situation that said yes, please? Um, so that, that one. Um, so cranial nerve uh, eleven moving on is your accessory nerve. Excellent. Um, yeah. Motor nerve um, provides innovation to your sternocleidomastoid, so it enables you to turn your head, um, and the upper part of your trapezius, so shoulder shrugging, shrugging. So you're able to lift your shoulders and you can turn your head side to side, and that is essentially what we ask the patient to do. And we ask them to do it passively, but then we um, sorry actively, and then we ask them to do it against resistance. Um, and you'll see if there's any, any change in power, essentially. And that's say, you're asking the patient, can you press against my hand? Don't let me bring my head up to the middle and turn your head to the other side. Press against my hand, don't let me bring your head up to the middle. Can you shrug yourselves up? Don't let me push them down. Um, so that, again, this is a, a really simple one to test. But if you were to find any abnormality, um, then it could um, 
indicate that you've maybe had some uh, penetrating trauma to the neck um, or there could be some metastatic disease in the neck or lymph node enrollment as well. Cool. Um, lastly. Hyperglossal. Well, <laughs> hyperglossal. Hyperglossal. Uh, so motor supply um, and it supplies the intrinsic muscles of the tongue. Um, again, this is quite an interesting one because if you find um, that there is a deviation, um, it tends to be ipsilateral so to, to where the lesion is. And that's, again, what I've seen in clinical practice with somebody who's presented with a brain tumour um, is that their tongue will deviate to the side where they've got their tumour. Um, so it's an interesting one. In terms of what we ask the patient is that you open your mouth, so you're looking at the tongue inside the mouth and looking for any fasciculations or muscle wasting. Um, any abnormality in terms of muscle wasting there, you'll see quite quickly. Um, then ask the patient to stick their tongue out. Um, some are very reluctant to do this, they think it's rude, but just reassure them. Um, and then ask them to move their tongue to side to side really quickly. And sometimes this takes you demonstrating so they know what they're doing. Um, and then ask them to put their tongue in the cheek so they're pressing against resistance and you, you push the tongue back in. And again, on the other side, so testing to see if there's a loss of power to the tongue as well. Um, uh, and that's it. Whoop woo! And that's our failure there. Um, so I would have a read around those mnemonics just because it's quite an easy way of trying to remember A, your cranial nerves, but whether they're sensory or motor and what you're actually testing for, it gives you a bit of a prompt, really. Um, I think that kind of brings together... Brilliant. Yeah, our podcast, really. Um, so, in terms of... Well, when I put this up um, on the Take Already website, I'll also link to the Geeky Medics video because they have done a very good video that goes through the cranial nerve exam, um, which I really recommend, and I'll put a link up there so people will be able to find it. And, um, yeah, practice, 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 really, I think, with this one, um, with your nearest and dearest, just practice with them. That's the only person you can practice on at the moment. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. So uh, I remember at med school, it was with your housemates, just lots of pulling funny faces at each other and practicing. Um, cool. Thank you, Lucy. You need to go to do your shift. I will see you in a few hours when my shift starts. Um, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Jamie.